what is it that makes this book need to be made or why do I want to make this book outside of just simply making another book so that's where the like very urban setting comes from and like it being dense with like kind of like social interactions like lots of things that I think before I had written this book I was really scared to run an adventure set in a city uh, and then kind of asking myself why and then trying to solve those problems. Hi, welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I'm Gary Snow, and joining me today is Andrew Kolb, who has created the wildly popular Neverland RPG, and has now followed up with what I predict is going to be as equally, if not more successful, Oz the RPG, uh, based upon the Frank Baum books of, uh, I think he did 14 in total, uh, but uh, or quite a few. But uh, anyways, Andrew, welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And for the very kind words, I appreciate the glowing review of both Neverland and the prediction for Oz. Well, I just have to say, uh, and even the like, look at that shiny cover. Just like, uh, just like the Neverland, it it uh, is just like something to behold. When you pick it up, you kind of immediately feel like you're going to be thrown into a fantastic world. And we're going to get to all that of your design decisions and your illustrations and that kind of thing as we go forward. But how has life been leading up to this uh, launch of Oz? Oh, it's been, it's been exciting. Cause I think with Neverland, I mean, not that anyone still really knows who I am, but I mean, like, I think now having a book out, people are, some people are like, oh, I remember this book. I'm interested to see what this one was. Whereas with Neverland, it was really just, oh, what is this book? Um, so it's exciting to see folks who are like, who got the, the book early at Gen Con or, or have like seen previews, um, who are interested. So it's, it's fun to see that kind of shift from the reception to Neverland after it was already released to now seeing the reception to Oz before it's released. I don't know if any of this makes sense, but it's, it's, it's been exciting to kind of see people kind of anticipate the launch um, as much as I am. So yeah, it's been very cool. Did you feel any extra pressure based upon the success of Neverland that you're going to go, uh, oh, here's my sophomore jinx and uh, I, I have to live up to the reputation? Yes. Yeah. I think, I think I've, I'm always really critical of musicians second albums. So I, I, I mean, karma coming full circle, I recognize, oh, I, I need to make sure that I treat this uh, with reverence or like just like make sure I, I can put out the best possible project that I can. Um, and the big driving force of like, oh, well, what is it that I would want to run? Or what is the kind of like, not antithesis of Neverland, but what is it that makes this book need to be made? Or why do I want to make this book outside of just simply making another book so that's where the like very urban setting comes from and like it being dense with like kind of like social interactions like lots of things that I think before I had written this book I was really scared to run an adventure set in a city uh, and then kind of asking myself why and then trying to solve those problems so that was that was hopefully the driving force and the justification for why why I made Oz. And in the back of the book, you talk about your own experience with Oz, and maybe you could just kind of summarize like your own, as a youth, your first discovery of Oz in the world. Yeah, very different from my experience with Neverland, which I like read the original book and then kind of like always kind of had that as a part of me. Uh, the Wizard of Oz, I'd never read any of the books as a kid. Like I'd, I'd seen the, the original film um, and then 
as a later or like a slightly older child watched Return to Oz and was emotionally scarred from that. Like I just, I was too young to watch it. And, and neither my parents knew what they were renting for us, nor did my sister nor I understand what we were getting into. But um, it was just so weird, but that really left an impression. Um, and then as an adult now reading the books and seeing that the structure was really just kind of like, Oz was this like was the the thread for all of them like Dorothy appears a bunch but a lot of the books don't have a lot of the like initial characters that it's it's and I think I mentioned this in the write-up as well uh I really love the Discworld series for it being not about a single character but about a setting and how the characters interact in that setting uh and Oz just kind of did that years before and for a younger audience so really uh really was a fun discovery to find, oh, this setting or this approach to the kind of like these children's books is not about following this character through a dozen books, but how do different characters interact with the world, which was really exciting as like research for a project like this. And same as you uh, with the wheelers that you mentioned being kind of terrified of, I was terrified of the flying monkeys. And in particular, and I don't know if other people are like this, when the flying monkeys were ripping apart the, the scarecrow guts in the original movie, that yeah. really troubled me as a, a child. I was like, I didn't like the fact that they're almost like ripping out his guts and he seemed okay, but because he's a scarecrow, but it was always like a little disturbing. And maybe that's kind of the interesting thing about Oz. Yeah. And I mean, I mentioned this again too, that like, I think those two films are a good kind of like, justification or a thesis statement of like the setting it doesn't necessarily need to be a specific tone like both of those movies are set in Oz but have a very different tone although I suppose you're right the the original one is a bit brighter but still has those kind of dark undercurrents I think Return to Oz has those darker currents a bit closer to the surface um so uh, yeah my because I, I think I generally tend to run more genial games but I think hopefully what I've done with the setting allows someone who wants to make a really kind of like dark and maybe scary Oz still work while using the same book. And, and how did you start the process of like deciding, you know, your own research into the world? Uh, I'm sure you had familiarity with it, but how, how much background research did you end up doing? Oh, lots. Cause I, I think with Neverland, one, I had been like running games and doing a lot of work just kind of like on my own, running my own kind of independent game. But for this knowing, oh, I like want to understand this world better. I read all the books. So I, I went through, or at least all the kind of like L. Frank Baum books. Um, I didn't get into the later stuff just based on copyright, um, but uh, read through all those books and then was on the like Oz wiki, like just like kind of like really researching all of the kind of like nuanced details of everything and just kind of mapping it all out, like understanding what is this world. Um, and then kind of just, it originally started as, uh, it was gonna be like a full world with different cities that you kind of like went around and it was just too big. Like I, I was, it was a question of like, do I want to run this? Like it just feels too much. So condensing it down into kind of like one mega city made it feel one different from Neverland in a way that I was really excited about. And two, something that still felt manageable both for me to write and hopefully for me to run as a game. So. That was kind of the, the early process. Um, and a lot of like weird little decisions being made that I, I don't remember when or how it happened, but just going, oh, right. I guess if it's one city, then the yellow brick roads can just be the roads in the city as opposed to kind of like what connects these different areas. So th things like that um, over the course of months uh, until finally I have something ready to pitch. 
And how about your own kind of uh, workflow and process? Uh, I saw some notes about that you did a little bit more digital this time than um, sketching, but you still combined a little bit of that? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely both. Um, especially with the, uh, the layout pages of like the characters and that, I tend to do a lot of my like very loose sketches digitally just to kind of get them down quickly to see and, and part of it is to just kind of get the flow of, oh, there's too many full page illustrations in a row. Let's break it up into some smaller ones or vice versa. I have too many little little illustrations. Let's introduce a big one to kind of change up the flow. Um, but I will do all of those digitally so that way I can do it quickly and change it quickly. Um, but then when I get to the final artwork, I tend to, I tend to at least do a tight sketch by hand first um, just to just to, I don't know, it's just like I have more years with a pencil than a, with a digital pen. So uh, just, just based on comfort. Cool. Well, let's dive right in. And uh, sure. so first of all, the, uh, the cover itself, um, the color choices, obviously, uh, like maybe I'm making some assumptions here, the Emerald City and the, the green foil. Yeah, that was, that was kind of number one. It had always been consistent. I had kind of toiled with or kind of tried to go back and forth between a uh, a yellow cover with the gold foil or sorry with the emerald foil or this blue um, and the reason why I didn't go with the yellow although it makes sense with the yellow brick road the reason why I didn't go with the yellow was because Neverland being a green cover with gold foil I didn't want this to be a yellow cover with green foil just like the reverse because um, I would like to do more books and I and I wanted it to kind of like stand on its own um, so with the blue then I don't know it's like the munchkin district and it has kind of like its own ties and like the bright blue sky so um, it was a it was a, a contrast from the from the green sorry <coughs> the green and the gold and uh, of Neverland and here's some of your kind of early concepts of it. And you talk about that. And one of the things I really appreciated about Neverland and I appreciate about this is you go into the behind the scenes stuff. And we talked about that in our previous interview of that you mm. like that. I think that was that with that maybe Hellboy. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reading the Hellboy comics, they had uh, Mike Mignola had a number of his rough sketches in the back of his kind of like library edition books. Uh, and I always loved seeing those. So while Neverland's sketchbook section was kind of like a, I don't wanna say an afterthought, but a late edition, um, this, because I was like working on this and knew I wanted to keep it from the start, um, I just like kept more of my rough work than I would maybe normally do. Like a lot of stuff I would just recycle, um, but knowing, oh, maybe I should like scan this and maybe I'll put it in the sketchbook later. Lots of stuff didn't get put in, but um, I ho hopefully I have more in this book uh, than in Neverland, just from the fact that uh, I knew from the start that I wanted to include it, like the sketches of the title treatment um, and, and that process. And uh, you're this is one of your early sketches as well, as far as uh, the overall concept for how Neverland was going to look and how to, what kind of creative process did you go through as far as how many versions did it take to get to the final? The, um, well, from that, from, and on that previous page, you'll see there's a tiny sketch of, of Oz and it kept pretty close to that. Um, so I think it was on like a yellow page uh, for anyone who is checking it out later. Um, but from there to this kind of like large sketch, that was probably the only transition. Like I only kind of did this large sketch once. I did alter it. Like if you look at this early sketch compared to the final, 
you might notice that there are more districts or more, sorry, more neighborhoods in each district because I originally had 10, but realized that there were too many, like there were ones that were unnecessary. And so I just like removed them. Um, so there's really only kind of like one change to the map of Oz after starting. Um, but uh, that was, that was the, the big part of it. So um, from my tight, from my loose sketch to my tight sketch was just one. And then there's just like kind of one minor revision. So it really had like a clear view. And that was also because I was researching like 1920s uh, illustrated maps or like city maps and things like that. So kind of like trying to get the same vibe, which is what, what I was going for. And was that like a fun process as far as like your, your, I think for a lot of designers, it's you're in charge of the world and you're creating like environments for people to play in. And uh, like you can imagine yourself in that world. Is that... I mean, there's probably a lot of joy that you get from making all of this, but uh, for me, I go, that must be a fun experiment to just like thinking through like what makes sense from a design perspective. Yeah. And like, and what we're looking at now with my multiple kind of like versions of the maps was really kind of like, here's this loose breakdown of the, the city. What do, what do you need in a city to like, I guess I really had fun answering the questions like, like to your question. Yeah, I really enjoyed this process because it's, it's going what makes this feel real. Okay, well, I guess there needs to be like a like a like an infrastructure set up for like water treatment and, and maybe sewage if there's sewers. So where does that go and then putting that in uh, and then going okay well like, I guess what is the like the social kind of hierarchy or what's the culture like and then how did we kind of show that maybe not just in the map, but also in kind of like in the different regions and so on. So uh, yeah, a lot of fun. It, it, both Neverland and this are so much work, uh, but always so rewarding at the, at the end too, when I finally get to go, oh yeah, this is, this is what I wanted. Like this, this feels like the city that I wanted to like have my players explore in. And so if we look at this map uh, in the center is the uh, Emerald uh, Tower. And then you have the uh, four um, regions, the Gillikin, Munchkin, Quadling, yeah. and Winky districts. And once again, like, how did you kind of go, these are the ones that I want to concentrate on and how it all kind of fits together? So a lot of this is from the like original design, like from Baum's original design of Oz. Like essentially there's like the Emerald City in the center and then out is the like different lands. There's like Winky and Munchkin. Like all of these are still very much, like if, any, if anyone who's read all of, the, all of the Oz books will see a lot of the kind of like references. Um, so Quadling and Munchkin and all that were very much present. I think my slight rework of making them districts within a bigger city is kind of where I tried to add something new or make it appropriate for D&D. Um, but uh, yeah, the districts were all kind of like existing. A lot of the areas within each district, like a lot of the neighborhoods are inspired by like towns or uh, like kind of like little communities within the Oz books. Um, so there's one area, it's Q5, which is called Fuddleville, uh, which for me, or like in this Oz is kind of like a big, uh, almost like Vegas. Like it's a lot of like gaming, uh, a lot of games and, and entertainment. Like it's a, it's a, like a, a tourist district or neighborhood. Um, and that is inspired by Fuddles, which are these characters or creatures in Oz that are all like puzzle people. So they like games and they like uh, kind of like playing tricks on each other and, and things like that. So 
taking that community of puzzle people and then changing it into this kind of bigger neighborhood of gaming um, still kind of was again, a lot of fun to go, oh, what, what would the bread people do? Oh, I guess maybe they'd have this kind of like food district or food neighborhood uh, in the kind of like social district. So all these, all these different kind of like weird things in the original books, but then kind of applying it to the core concept of a mega city. Um, yeah, I don't know if any of this is making sense. It's just like a lot of research and then a lot of just kind of like, what do I do with this? And then trying to find the balance of like practical, but also fun. And going from Neverland, which was basically a hex crawl, and you would go to mm. different hexes and there'd be random tables for each hex, the urban setting, what kind of a shift did you have to make as far as like your design process uh, or layout? Yeah. And Yeah, I didn't want to do another hex crawl. Well, one, because it didn't make, it didn't, it didn't feel right for a, like an urban campaign or for an urban setting. Um, and two, I didn't want to, I didn't want to put out two books of hex crawls. And then if I do something else, be like, oh, why isn't this a hex crawl? So I also wanted to make a conscious decision of I need to do something different. One, to challenge myself and two, because I want this book to stand on its own from, from Neverland. Um, so going with more of like a point crawl design where essentially the neighborhoods are just uh, abstracted, but moving between each neighborhood takes about an hour or you can take the public transit, which uh, there are different stops in the land. So that takes half the time, kind of like treating it more or travel within a city to feel more abstracted and not about, okay, you turn left on this road. Okay, now turn right on this one um, was kind of the driving force. Uh, so that way it could still be, like if you really need to explore a street and find the right business then you can do that but again I was always afraid of running urban adventures because it felt like oh I need to like literally map out each street and and have them all named um but in taking like a point crawl approach then that becomes kind of moot like you don't need to have that you can have like a neighborhood and talk about what that what's in that neighborhood but my players have never asked, wait, where are we in this neighborhood? Because it doesn't matter. Like it, it, we just kind of talk about, oh, you're in this neighborhood, which is adjacent to this neighborhood. Like it, that it kind of like goes bigger as opposed to smaller. Yeah, and you're, as I had up there on the screen, the quick reference area, it's all the different, the neighborhoods that fit within here. And the transportation itself, like I thought that was uh, like a key element of like getting around is actually part of the adventure and uh, definitely built into it as far as the the monorail i love the idea of the monorail <laughs> i don't know if it's yeah and disneyland and bit, idea, but for me i like it yeah and, and a big part of that too was because i think a lot of the themes of like oz is this kind of like real hierarchy and kind of assumptions and 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 kind of like the not quite a caste system but there's essentially the overland uh, the overground which is that monorail which is kind of like sits up in the sky which is more expensive and has fewer stops and then there's the underground which is just like a, a typical subway um and is cheaper and then goes to different districts uh or different neighborhoods within a district so uh also kind of thinking about like oh, do we want to, because sometimes it's faster to take the overground, do we want to pay more money to take this like fancy monorail or do we have the time that it can be cheaper and we still save some time taking the subway? Like still almost, again, kind of making decisions kind of like you do in real life. Like, oh, do I want to pay for this Uber or do I want to uh, just like take the bus uh, to get across town? Like, I guess it's cheaper, but it's also slower um, and trying to kind of, um, automate that through this point crawl system 
And of course you have your uh, random encounters for each area based upon yeah. the, the type of people that are uh, living there. Yeah, and one thing I did with Oz as opposed to Neverland, because uh, because Neverland was like kind of wild and a lot of the, the hex is kind of like natural space um, in Oz, because everything is kind of urban or uh, like populated, then I really wanted to make it feel or introduce something that made you feel like, oh, I understand what's how to run this area. Because um, again, before I had kind of approached this, I didn't really know how to run an urban setting or like a, like a city adventure. Um, and in, in researching, I had kind of found what I needed. Uh, and that's where the, what I kind of call a news table uh, comes into play. So on the left-hand side, you have those random uh, encounters and kind of like the general maps uh, for each neighborhood. And then on the right, is a, a couple more like lists of names, um, a quick overview of the neighborhood, uh, and then that news table. So I've broken it down into four categories, like navigation, uh, events, worldlings, and then secrets. So the first thing you usually kind of come across in a neighborhood are like these landmarks. So that's the, the navigation. And then events that happen in the area to make it feel alive worldlings which are like people that you might encounter and then secrets because it's always fun to find secrets in a neighborhood um or even just and they don't need to be like uh, uh like uh conspiracy theory secrets it can just be like oh there's this really great restaurant that no one talks about except for the locals but you don't get to find that out if you just moved in you have to kind of like hang out for a while to discover it so um that sort of table is kind of what helped me feel more comfortable running something in a neighborhood because if folks go what's what's here what am I seeing and I can see oh there's like a huge statue which kind of acts as the central landmark in this neighborhood and everything kind of spokes off of that then folks can go like oh are we close to that or can we if I'm using that statue for reference does that help with my navigation so then we give an advantage on a navigation role based on that like it, it just kind of like all kind of factors into it and the yellow brick ro road and wall uh, how did you incorporate that and in, like as far as the overall design what did you think about as far as uh like i know it's a central city so there's no road leaving this city per se right. yeah the uh, so basically every road in every neighborhood is uh is kind of like not paved i guess bricked with yellow bricks um so they really are everywhere um but those bricks are also used kind of like perimeter the the land of Oz to kind of keep the deadly desert at bay um, but because of having so many like such an emphasis on these yellow bricks and there's a whole neighborhood called bricks which is where the yellow bricks are made uh, and acts as kind of this kind of like uh, kind of like salt of the earth like worker neighborhood that uh, is like essential to the kind of infrastructure of Oz um, so again kind of like you know, you're exploring around, you may not even notice that first, and then you get to bricks, and then sure, it's the name, but then you see, oh, this is where all the bricks come from. Like, it just feels alive to go, like, right, it's not all about sword fights and, uh, like, explosions. It's also just, like, this This world exists and lives, um, and that's where I try to kind of communicate that through the different neighborhoods. Well, I mean, it's just, like, as you flip through it, and you get a, a flavor uh, text, and, uh, and the idea of what the district is, it's kind of just a fun read through and a flip through. Um, but let's get to, and there's so much good stuff in here, but let's get to uh, the world itself. Okay. And 
as far as now we got the map, let's talk about what's happening within the world. Yeah, so this is set up a bit differently than Neverland where, and again, because this, I want this to kind of exist independent of Neverland. How I approached this was, and also based on the, the kind of stories where a lot of the Oz books are about kind of like the change of power, like from the movies, like the Wizard of Oz leaves and then the Scarecrow becomes the kind of like King of Oz and then Ozma returns. Like there's always this kind of like political changes while, uh, while the characters are having their adventures. So to kind of capture that, what I've done is like with these four districts, then there's like a wizard, which is the title of whoever kind of governs each district. And then Ozma, who is a princess. Sorry, I'm really going to get into the politics of Oz now. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a pyramid. It's a, not a pyramid scheme, but it's a pyramid structure. Like there's the princess at the top and then there's the wardens. So like the, the witch of the East, the wizard of the West type thing is not a character per se, but a title. So if the tin, tin Woodman is the Warden of the West, then he is, his title is the Wizard of the West. So he is responsible for governing that district um, and then kind of making sure that all the neighborhoods are kind of like upkept and so on. But you as the GM get to decide who is each Warden. So I've listed, I think, 20 different kind of characters from throughout the Oz books that uh, you might recognize. I mean, if you've only seen the movies and you may only recognize a few, um, but that's still enough for you to be able to go, oh, I want TikTok to be the like warden of the North or I want um, Belina, the, the chicken to be the, the witch of the East. Uh, so once you put them in place, then it starts to kind of become a political game too of like, oh, how do these wardens interact with each other? How do they interact with Ozma? Is Glinda the good uh, witch of the South? Has she like been absent and now someone else has taken her place? And what does that mean? Um, so that's that's where the kind of like prep on the GM kind of ends. Like once you kind of just establish the political setup, then hopefully everything else can kind of run on its own. And you also you have a bunch of interesting uh, factions, gnomes, wheelers, objectionists, and uh, some of that we'll cover off in the cast area. But sure. uh, how much was pulled from the, the actual source material of the books and how much were you going, I'm going to play in this area? Some, some come from the books, like the wheelers and the gnomes and, and basically the creature-based uh, factions are all come from the books. I would say the kind of like more uh, what I will call the more human-based factions, uh, which are kind of like lean more on conspiracy theories, uh, are from are outside of that. Um, I had read that kind of Oz, uh, or like kind of the the Wonderful Wizard of Oz, was kind of like one of the first kind of like American fairy tales, and that really kind of like stuck with me. Um, so I really kind of started researching different things that have kind of happened throughout history in America and also just kind of like conspiracy theories in general um, and tried to put an Aussie spin on it. So uh, one, one that I can mention is like the project OZ Ultra, which is uh, kind of like a play on the kind of like uh, mind, not mind control, but like the, uh, like the MK Ultra program of the 60s or 70s, like the kind of like mid to late mid of the 1900s or early yeah the 1960s or 70s so trying to pull off of that sort of stuff that actually came from real life but again kind of like making it a, a fantastical experience yeah i uh, you know just even 
most settings, uh, as far as like having those different factions, it, the political intrigue and in a cityscape, uh, it's definitely of interest as far as uh, making characters like embrace the the other NPCs and getting involved in adventures and uh, and just overarching as far as like I think you did a really good job of setting things up for uh, trying to. I guess explore the world and make people dig in and uh and in between the travel and the factions and the different uh folks that live there it's very interesting of course then here's the picture of the monorail oh yeah thank you and i mean i think what i was my goal with neverland was very much like the theme of exploration uh and with this i really wanted to kind of like shift it towards like a social aspect like we think of the kind of like original pillars of D D kind of being like exploration social and combat all, obviously Neverland has all three, this I like to think have all three, but this feels more like an emphasis on social. And I think having those factions that are very kind of human and more sneaky in that kind of city setting really kind of shifts it towards a social component. Like you may run into someone from a secret organization, but they may not reveal that right away, or they might test you first before they can see if they want to kind of engage in some way. So it just like, it feels more like a social component while still retaining the kind of faction play. So uh, yeah, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's been fun to work on. It's very different from Neverland, but it still feels kind of like the uh, cousin to it. And I really like this crime and punishment uh, section as far as obviously your characters are gonna get into trouble at some point. And uh, you went through the process of like, what would that look like once you get into trouble and maybe just walk us through your uh, thoughts on how you came up with this as far as game design and having characters go through it oh so a lot of these are pulled from old uh like ways of like true kind of like um trials or tr true ways of like testing guilt and innocence but again with kind of like an Aussian spin um so there's like a way to pay there's a way that you're kind of like trial by combat like it's it's i tried to find different ways to approach um the like trials, or I tried to find ways that approach trials with different solutions. So one is maybe more combat centric, one where you have to just like pay money, uh, lends itself to people who are like really hoarding wealth of like, oh, well now you got in trouble, so now you got to spend this money. Um, there are other things where it's like more socially inclined where you have to like convince a number of people to kind of like basically swear an oath that you're innocent. Um, and then there's a few that are just kind of like fun for the GM to run. Like the one that I've run for my players uh, essentially they all have to put their hands onto a statue of Ozma, like the princess of Oz. And if the statue weeps, then they're found guilty. And if it kind of like stays stone, then it, then they're proven or they are innocent. Um, but then that also kind of like leads to this weird kind of like, what if someone tampers with the statue or what if magic is uh, kind of cast, like things like that. Uh, like what if one of the players sees that it starts to weep and then casts destroy water. So it, it just like gets rid of the tears. Like I, like I'm, I don't know what the solutions are going to be, but if it's, if it's all kind of like weird enough, then hopefully it'll, uh, nurture weird solutions, uh, as opposed to just simply like you sit on the bench and then lawyers debate. So that's what I wanted to avoid. And that goes into, uh, stuff that we previously talked about with Neverland is kind of although it's a 5e product, it's got uh, elements of OSR game style of play as far as like, who knows how creative you can be if you just let the uh, players loosen it. Yeah, my dream is to hear someone run a Blades in the Dark game in Oz, because I also, 
again, I, I picture an adventure in Neverland being like, oh, we like explore this area, we find a cave, we like unearth these secrets. An adventure in Oz to me feels more like, oh, we need to go to this ball uh, or this gala event and we need to rob the, the safe in the, 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 the attic without being discovered by the homeowner. Like it just like feels very different. But uh, yeah, if, if I can, if anyone ever runs an OSR game in Oz or like a Blades in the Dark uh, adventure in Oz, please tell me. Uh, Cause I would love to, I'd love to hear how it goes. Oh, and uh, green pennies is the currency in Oz. Is emerald green, I'm assuming? Yeah, yeah. And again, that's something from the original books oh. um, that there was really no currency in Oz before uh, before Oscar Diggs or the kind of like the Wizard of Oz showed up. Um, so that that was a fun kind of addition. And it's also nice that I can still use GP as the acronym and it'd still be appropriate. Um, so actually, I just ran a one shot yesterday and the players have all agreed to a contract where they get paid 100 GP. Uh, and then upon finishing the job and they got this kind of like a coin purse full of green pennies, felt kind of robbed, but also like, well, I guess we did like, we didn't really read the fine print. So uh, <laughs> something that they kind of like navigate. And then that also means banks play a big role in Oz uh, and uh, what that means. And then there's like safes to rob. Uh, so yeah, again, taking like small components of the books and then really expanding. I also feel like I'm rambling a lot because I haven't really talked about this much yet. I'm just very excited to talk about all the weird different things that I, oh, I, I, I love it. And then uh, the fame and infamy and Toto, hmm. maybe talk about that because that's kind of an interesting angle on the, the players in the world. Yeah, because I think I wanted to find a way for folks to have like a, like sorry, for GMs to have a, an easy way to track uh, essentially like the infamy or um, the reputation within the city, uh, especially if they start to get into these shenanigans. Like if, if they go on this uh, really public trial, people are going to start to recognize them uh, or if they like save someone's life or cause a neighborhood to burn down, like there's going to be something that follows them. Um, so that's where I've approached the kind of like fame and Toto, which Toto is an acronym for tomfoolery total, um, which uh, I mean, it has its own significance, but the goal being that if you do something significant in a neighborhood, then it increases your toto by one. So you burn down a you burn down a, a, a tavern, then your toto is likely going to go up by one. After certain check marks or after certain points, then that toto spreads. So if you get to toto three in a neighborhood, then all adjacent neighborhoods increase their toto by one, assuming that oh, like gossip spreads across this like the city. Um, so after a certain point you might not be able to go anywhere without being recognized because you've just kind of, or at least maybe not go into this neighborhood without being recognized because you've done so much and everybody kind of knows you, like you're kind of like locally famous um, and trying to mechanically put that into the game. So that way it's easy for the, the, the GMs to run, um, but also still kind of like influence gameplay. Um, so in those different neighborhoods, there are different spots where like there might be a fine dining restaurant that only lets you in if you have a total of six or more, which means like, oh, unless you're like somebody of note, we don't let you into the like upper level for dinner. Like it just, it just uh, adds a mechanical component to that. And also then kind of goes back to the original books and movie where it's like, oh, the wizard won't see you go slay the wicked witch of the West and then come back. So um, things like that, that's, that was kind of the goal behind that decision. And then you have your chase sequences, which I think are somewhat familiar uh, from your Neverland chase sequences. Yeah, a little different from the 
from the Neverland one, which was more of a like a rock, paper, scissors based setup. This one, because I'd written Neverland in a pre-pandemic time and we weren't really playing online that much, the rock, paper, scissors really worked well at the table. With this though, now that I play almost exclusively online, the, the rock, paper, scissors doesn't work on like a digital setting the same way. So I wanted to come up with a solution that, uh, that worked better uh, like virtually. So it's more dice based. It streams it as best as it can and it, and it keeps like, each individual player um, engaged in a different way and still kind of gives even the slower characters an opportunity to help. Um, so it's more of like kind of a, well, a chase like where uh, you start with a, a D4 and then whoever wins then rolls a D6 the next round. And then whoever wins that either increases their dice or brings the other one back down. So it kind of is this kind of like uh, chase uh, as you kind of continue on. Um, so that was the approach for that. And I loved your uh, map making technique. And I mean, one of the problems when anybody ever thinks about designing into like an urban setting is how much detail do you put in the map? Um, because like eventually people go, well, I want to know where this street leads to and, and what is located there. And I thought you came up with a pretty clever solution. Uh, I don't know if this has been done before, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Did, did you come up with it on your own? Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I think the, the building setup, like I've, I've seen others use dice to kind of like uh, navigate or like kind of like create uh, like blueprints for buildings. Um, so I can't take full credit for that. But I mean, like it's kind of like my own version of that. Um, and then for the roads, um, yeah, I don't remember if I had seen anyone else do something like that, but it's what I do. Like I essentially just make very abstract words that all, all with straight lines start to make these different neighbor, uh, not neighborhoods, different street maps. Um, and I only ever really kind of like use that map for whatever is happening in the moment. Like if they're chasing someone through a neighborhood, then we make the map, they chase, they either catch the person or they get away. And then we move on. Like we, I very rarely go back to those maps um, because it's usually not relevant. So that's why I wanted something that was quick and easy to do. So that way, I'm not spending 30 minutes on a on a roadmap that I don't end up ever using again. So that was that was kind of the decision making behind that. Yeah, it, very cool. And uh, so for those that uh, are who can't read it because it's probably pretty small on the screen, you do the D4 drop on the map, and the, that way you get your rooms and your your lines in the rooms and then with the street maps uh, you just the s and the e to combined and then you start uh, building off from there yeah yeah i think making the the buildings takes a bit more time um but i've also included a bunch of building maps in the back for specific locations so you don't have to worry about making like a factory or a bank or things like that but if you need to just like make a quick house or a quick building uh, most of the time I do theater of the mind, but if they really get granular, then I will do it a quick drawing. Cool. Let's get into the, uh, the fun. Well, not that any of this has not been fun, but the cast. There's definitely more pictures in the cast. So that's <laughs> always fun. <laughs> and so similar to uh, Neverland, you have a section or chapter two called cast and you go through, not only it's like a bestiary, uh, but it's or bestiary, um, but it's also some of the main characters in there. So let's maybe flip through here. And uh, some of them really jumped out at me as far as, uh, you know, you've got your standard kind of animals. Um, Belina, um, which I, I guess I wasn't that familiar with, but the rooster, um, the magic rooster. And, uh, and in doing a little bit of research for this uh, interview, I didn't know that Baum himself was like really into raising chickens. 
the hamburger oh, yeah. chicken. <laughs> in fact, so yeah, yeah, it kind of makes uh, sense that he included this. Yeah, and I think with the like, so seeing uh, Return to Oz, um, then she plays the bigger role in the in the sequel. Um, but again, the the characters and, and there's like a little icon behind her name or beside her name. Those indicate the kind of like personalities of Oz. So those are the ones that are most likely to be put into those kind of like political roles um, or are the kind of like best fit for those. Cause I've also included at the bottom, like a wicked and wonderful list. And it's just like four little traits that locals will use to like either describe or um, build their opinions of each character. So folks may like Belina as a, as a ruler because she's not from Oz, but folks may also not like that because she's not from Oz. So um, there's again, lots of political and social components to even the kind of bestiary. And then the uh, bunny folk, which are uh, silk um, pantaloon wearing um, fancy hat rabbits. Yeah, lots of the animals in Oz speak. Uh, so I tried to I tried to give them as much personality visually as possible. Um, same with like the animals in the earlier section. Some wear clothes, some don't. It just it just depends on what their own personal preferences are. And I loved uh, your uh, Cheesemakers Guild membership card. I thought I'd love that kind <laughs> oh, of in-game documents uh, that just really add to the immersion of it. Thanks. Yeah, on, on those random tables in the neighborhood, it was really fun coming up with like random stuff that they would find, like, oh, a used ticket from this event type thing. Because uh, like maybe it's nothing, but maybe it's smeared with blood and then the characters decide to go explore. Like it's just, yeah, that kind of like, those little details that make the world feel alive. And then uh, the Cowardly Lion. And I guess from my perspective, I have found everybody kind of knows about the, the big ones, Scarecrow, Tin Man and Cowardly Lion. So maybe I'll kind of just skip past them. But uh, I really liked how you kind of like played on a lot of like the, uh, the lore and building it out. Uh, were, were Daughters of the Rainbow in the original books at all? Or is this all your... Yes, yeah. And that's more, I would say most, most of what's in the bestiary is from the original books, except for some of the factions that I've introduced. Um, so like the Objectionists uh, or the, um, the All of Knights, things like that. Um, most come from from the original books. I may have changed some of the names, uh, like the Doans are a good example. They, so there's bunny folk and then there are also bun folk, which like bun isn't like literally like kind of like buns in the oven type thing. Um, so I tried to change that just so it wasn't as like audibly confusing. Um, and because I also wanted it to not just be buns, it was also gingerbread and muffins and that. So tried to play off of a different a different name. So that was it. Of course, we've got dragons and dragonettes, standard uh, fuddles, which you mentioned were the puzzle, the puzzle folk. Yeah. Yeah. And gargoyles. And fighting trees, if you remember from the original movie where they throw the apples, that's in there too. So tried to keep as much as I could. Uh, gargoyles, which on the next page, I really want to dive into it, but uh, the sign language, I thought that was very cool to add into that. And uh, so how did you arrive at adding this in? Oh, thanks. The, like, the original gargoyles in the, uh, in the books are like made of wood and they, like, their mouths don't open, and they, but they communicate through these like, gestures. Um, so I wanted to include like, a very small amount of ASL um, to kind of give a glimpse that if a GM is running something at the table, hopefully these are relevant enough words that they could just like 
offer a gesture. And if someone knows ASL, then they'd actually be able to kind of understand a bit of it um, or something for them to be able to research in the world too. So uh, gargoyles aren't native to Oz, but uh, they use the same kind of like language or the, they use Aussie sign language or OSL. Um, and that's, that was the kind of the decision behind that. And it was also fun to research. Like I'm, I've always been interested in, uh, in sign language. So wanted to kind of like add my own kind of personal interests into, into the book. And uh, here's uh, Glinda, the good lich of the South. Yeah, I guess this is also one of the other kind of like uh, twists is the like what we normally call the witches in the original books, like the like Glinda and the Good Witch of the North and the Wicked Witch of the East. Because witch is now a title, I wanted to distinguish those from the title. Um, so these three are all like very powerful spell casters or like uh, wizards, but they're also all liches. Um, so they've kind of like traded some of themselves to kind of like get this and amass this power um and and yeah that's just like one of those fun reveals so if you throw water onto the wicked lich of the east or wicked lich of the west uh then she melts but then also there's still this kind of like emerald green skeleton that you have to fight after so again <laughs> i wanted it to be familiar but also some new stuff for the players to discover and you've got hammerheads uh hammer shaped people that uh headbutt you yeah hippo giraffes was is that your own concoction or was that from uh no these are all from oz these are all from the books which is which is great neverland is like a much smaller world and and it allowed me to kind of like really kind of fill in a lot of the gaps um oz is so rich that i didn't like and i, I didn't want to kind of like leave out too much just because it already has so many great things like the hoppers and horners are also in in the books and they're both like these kind of like subterranean creatures that are basically the same but are always in conflict so uh yeah just like a lot of rich stuff but then also expanding it to be like okay what mechanically makes them interesting as a creature to either fight or play uh and that's where that's where i came in and then another main character jack pumpkinhead yeah and my hope is like if you're not interested in Jack Pumpkinhead or TikTok, like if you really only want Dorothy, uh, Scarecrow, Tin Woodman, and the Cowardly Lion, you can make those for the wardens of the North, South, East, and West and not worry about all those other characters. Like you don't need to worry about Belina or Button Bright or all these other characters that you may not have reference to. So I tried to include as many as possible, but you also don't need to like keep track of everything to still have like an engaging and political adventure in Oz. And the objectionist, I love, once again, the, the signs, just that oh, in the uh, politics. We want yeah, I should now. also mention from the, yeah, from the books, uh, towards the end of, the, of uh, Baum's books, Ozma kind of like puts, puts the land in a bubble and kind of like limits magic because it's just like too powerful and too dangerous. So that's kind of where we find Oz now is uh, it basically the rule has been like only a select few are permitted to use magic. Um, so while there are others in Oz that can use magic, um, they are not allowed to. So that's where the kind of objectionists come in and, and are kind of like a, just a faction of people who just like protest this and kind of like resist it as much as possible. Some are peaceful, some are more violent, um, but that's, that's a big part of, of playing in Oz is like, oh, you're in the city, but you may actually not be allowed to cast these spells or you could get arrested and then go and, and kind of sort through the, the crime and so on. 
and the uh, all of knights the protectors of the land over time yeah and, historically and they kind of like pull from like the the knights templar um and there's like some stuff from like almost like batman begins like yeah i don't want to i won't go into every single one but yeah. uh yeah there's lots of different kind of like hints from different like media and also the books so and oscar uh, diggs. And conspiracy theories yeah oscar yeah, diggs the, the, the snake oil salesman who, yeah the uh the wizard of oz or the former wizard of oz uh, the outfit, another faction, um, essentially like a crime family. Um, Ozma, of course, who is now the ruler of Oz. Yep. And just like as we go through, I'm sure some of these are going to be familiar. The porcelain folks, um, scarecrow, seedlings, and uh, I love the tinners. Which are, Thanks. which are basically uh controlled mechanical uh beings yeah uh, like the i think uh, because oz is kind of like going through a, a, like an industrial revolution and because magic has been banned and there's more of an emphasis on like technology and science so it's a, like a, you can also lean into more of like a steampunk world with this setting uh and that's where i wanted to introduce these tinners which are just like big simple kind of like lumbering mech suits that uh you can kind of like modify and change out um or like essentially like kit bash if you are kind of like a miniature maker um so you can add different legs and and make that probably a boss monster like it's i, I really like the idea of someone going into a factory and the the criminal has like climbed climbed into the suit and like is now turned on the machine is now like fighting back in this like giant mech suit uh that's something hopefully my players will run into at some point in the utensians which are living utensils yeah and also something from the original oz books too just weird and wonderful things that uh hopefully make this setting feel like its own it's incredible how uh rich the uh world is and until reading your book, I didn't actually probably realize how rich uh, of the the Oz books were because most people stop at Wizard of the Oz or Return to Oz and that's about it. But when you actually go into it, you're like, it's quite, quite rich. Oh, yeah. And hopefully or my goal is for someone who maybe has only seen the movies can pick up the book and go, oh, yeah, I recognize a lot of this stuff. Or like, this feels like Oz. But also for the people who are like diehard, I've read every book picking it up and going yes this also feels like oz but like a different like my own oz or like the the book oz so yeah that's i, I appreciate that you're seeing stuff and and are interested in new things because that's hopefully what this book can also do is like introduce new people to the world of oz and of course the traumatizing wheelers yeah i made them a little less scary <laughs> uh but that's that's it and then the winged monkeys yeah and the uh, Wogglologist, and uh, once again, your uh, chewable tablets that they produce, uh, the in-game kind of uh, content, it uh, really Yeah, helps. yeah, great. And uh, the Zuminati, another faction. So I don't wanna uh, take up too much time, but let's, I just wanna quickly fire through uh, like some of the, um, tables that you've created you know just like sure. neverland like i'm just gonna fire through them but like you have just so much like spark tables and random tables for people to draw upon in different locations and loot magic occurrences npcs so when people get this setting 
look uh, just a table of rumors you have provided uh like a lot of pages just to get the adventure started oh thanks yeah my goal is that you don't need to do too much like outside of that early prep work of like who is running what district my goal is really kind of like neverland or very similar to neverland you should be able to kind of like open up to a page and run a neighborhood and if the characters have a, or the players have a question there should be hopefully a table that can help you or at least something that will give you at least a direction. Like I don't want anybody to be, I don't want the, the GM to be lost in running this because it is a big setting. Like I recognize it's like almost 40 neighborhoods, like it's a lot. So I tried to keep it as organized uh, as possible. So I appreciate, I appreciate you uh, like liking the tables as well. Well, I, I think uh, what you put together here is a really good follow-up to uh, Neverland. Uh, when I got my hands on it, I just uh, kept flipping through it and finding kind of new things with each flip through. And oh, great. Uh, it's exciting. I think uh, people are going to be really pleased with uh, your follow-up. And so no sophomore jinx this time. <laughs> I mean, it's it's okay. I'm really happy with the book, how the book came out. If, if it doesn't scratch the same itch as Neverland, that's okay. My hope is that it will scratch a different itch. Like it will kind of like exist in its own space as like, oh, I really want to run an urban setting. That is where Oz comes in. Because if it was just more of Neverland, then I would just do Neverland again. And uh, so once again, it's available uh, for pre-order right now on Amazon. I'm going to put mm -hmm. the links uh, below in the uh, details uh, of the video, as well as in the show notes for the podcast part of it. But um, pre-order now, and then delivery starts through Amazon. And if um, people want to uh, follow you, where can they uh, learn more about your all your different projects? Because as we talked about in your previous interview, uh, you don't just do role-playing games, you do artwork and mid-century modern kind of designs. Yeah, I do a lot of illustration too. Uh, my and that's, I mean, like my main career, um, although now I have two books, so maybe it's shifting a bit, um, but I am Andrew Kolb and my website is kolbisneat.com, which leads to, I mean, like it shows all my work there, but also will lead you to like Twitter and my Instagram and things like that. Um, but if you're just on one of those apps and you just search Kolb is neat, then that is me. Um, that is my handle everywhere. And that is like a good way to kind of get, keep updated on what projects I'm working on. So yeah, that's it. And inevitably, the question comes, what's next? I know uh, people, <laughs> people have speculated. I've seen it. You know, what, is it going to be uh, Wonderland, Alice in Wonderland? or? Oh, yeah. So I think uh, I don't know what the property will be or like what the setting will be yet. And I, I want to take some time. Like between yeah. Neverland and Oz, I, I took some time just from needing a break. Um, what I'm doing right now is just kind of like researching because what I want is, so if the pillars are, exploration, social, and combat, then I want this third book to emphasize combat more, which is something that I'm not as comfortable with. Like I just, I don't, I, my players don't fight things a lot. Uh, so I need to look into like what makes an interesting fight. Uh, and this is all a long way around of me saying, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I know that the kind of like thrust of it is going to be combat. So that's, that's, that's as far as I can go at this point. So maybe we'll be here in a year and we'll have a different uh, saying, but uh, for now, I just know I want it to be combat focused. That's it. Well, that's great. And uh, once again, I just want to say, you know, thanks for joining us and uh, sharing a little bit of your design process and uh, uh, in your excellent products that you've made. And, uh, you know, just can't wait to see what comes next. And I'm sure this is going to be a huge success. 
Oh, thank you very much. Thanks again for having me and for chatting about the book. And again, I just haven't talked about it as much yet. So I'm excited to just kind of like share all this different stuff about it.